0: So, at Christmas, we were in awe that God was in that manger in in Bethlehem. Uh, As I think I prayed earlier, it's the most breathtaking truth to ever fall upon the ears of men, and that is that I Am is in the womb, I Am is in the manger, and I Am is there, because He has come to redeem his people. And since Christmas, we've been looking at with no small amount of awe at who this God in the manger says he is. As we've been trying to make the point, there are huge implications with the fact that God's in a manger and there are huge implications with who this great God is. If we really believe he is who he says he is. First thing we talked about, he is the great God of Psalm 99, the great sovereign reigning God. The Lord reigns. Let the peoples tremble. He's enthroned above the cherubim. Let the earth shake. He's also the infinitely good and loving God who is wholly committed to His people. The God of Isaiah 41.10. The Lord says, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not forget that verse. For all of 2014, I love this verse. He says, Do not look anxiously about you, for I am your God. Amen? I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I love that verse. Might be a good verse to commit to memory. Also, we talked about the fact that this, this God in the manger, he's eternally faithful. He's the God of Lamentations, chapter 3. The Lord's loving kindnesses, indeed they never cease, for His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is Thy faithfulness. And last week we talked about the fact that we can obey this awesome God in heart obedience. And who did we look at last week? Anybody remember? Gideon and his men outnumbered 450 to 1 went down to face the enemy and God routed the enemy. You may remember one of the uh, beautiful things about that text is Gideon was whining about "Well, where are your miracles? And God looked him in the eye. You remember? God looked Gideon in the eye and said, you go be my miracle. You go deliver Israel from the hands of the Midianites. You go do it. And then he said the thing that changes all the calculus in the world. He says, have I not sent you? Don't you love it when he says that? Have I not sent you? <laughs> all right, Beloved, we don't, need to be, we don't need to shrink back in 2014. We can obey the Lord with glad, reckless joy. We can be radical disciples in 2014 because He is who He is. Amen? We're not going to shrink back, right? That's what we've been talking about. In this new year, we're not going to shrink back. We're going to obey the Lord. We're going to read His Word. We're going to know His Word. We're going to do His Word. Right? Maybe? Possibly? We'll think about it? I don't know. Yes, we will. If we're His, we will. We will. If we are His. And this week, I I want us, as I told you last week we would do, I want us to be reminded, yes, as last week we talked about, we can trust the Lord in heart obedience. This week I want to talk about the fact we can trust the Lord in hard providence. Just because it's hard in our life. And some of you will go through some hard things in 2014. Some of you may go through some tragic things in 2014. But our God is with us. And our God is good. Circumstance doesn't change who our God is. Circumstance doesn't change who He is. So, God is enough. Jesus Christ is God enough to trust in hard obedience. We've made that point, I I hope. Jesus Christ is God enough to trust in the face of hard providence as we will see in the book of Job. I want to begin with a story. Some of you have heard me tell this story before. July 1969, a beautiful 17-year-old woman dove into the... Murky waters of Chesapeake Bay, which is on the eastern coast of the United States. She woke up in a hospital, face down in some kind of uh, contraption, some kind of frame, and her fifth cervical vertebra was shattered and she would be a quadriplegic for the rest of her life. She writes, I laid there hour after hour staring at the floor. All I could think was, way to go, God. I'm a brand new Christian. I prayed for a closer walk with You. If this is your idea of an answer to prayer, I'm never going to trust you again. I can't believe I have to lie face down in this stupid torture rack. I hate my existence, she writes. She continues, My thoughts got darker and darker. No longer was my bitterness a tiny trickle. It became a raging torrent. I was done. I was broken. She says, I can't do this. I can't live like this. I would rather die than face this. Oh God, I don't have the strength to face this. I would rather die. We'll come back to her in just a few minutes. So, I hope you have your Bibles open to Job chapter 1. You heard the text read. Job chapter 1. He' is a man blessed of God. He's the greatest man in the East. He's a wealthy man, both in family and in possessions. And you saw the account of how the angels or the sons of God, that's just a euphemism for angels. they came before the Lord, and Satan also came among them, verse six. And the Lord said to Satan verse eight, "Have you considered how awesome my servant Job is, right? the Lord brings him up. For there's nobody like him. He's blameless. He's upright. He fears me. And he turns away from evil. Verse 9, Satan answered, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not hedged him up? Have you not blessed all the works of his hands and his possessions have increased? And Satan says, verse 11, But put forth thy hand now and touch all that he has and he will curse your name Verse twelve. Then the Lord said to Satan, "Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not put forth on your hand on him physically." So we pick up here at verse thirteen. So it happened on the day that his sons and daughters were eating and drinking, whining in their oldest brother's house. Verse fourteen. And a messenger came to Job, and he said, "The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding." And the Sabaeans attacked and took them, and they slew the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Verse 16, while he was still speaking, another also came and said, the the, the fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and have consumed them. I alone have escaped to tell you. Verse 17, while he was still speaking, another also came and said, the the Chaldeans formed a, a, a raid and." on the camels and they took them and they slew the servants with the edge of the sword and I alone have escaped. To tell you, verse 18, while he was still speaking, another also came and said, Your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine in their brother's house and behold, a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house and it fell on the young people and they died. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Job's world has just ended in a matter of minutes. Unspeakable loss, unbearable pain, utter despair, perfect anguish. As I read this text, I was thinking about what Jesus said to Peter over in Luke 22.31. Some of you will remember it. It's a very famous text. Satan says, pardon me, Uh, Jesus says, Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat. If you look at the Greek word sifted there in that context, it simply means to try one's faith to the point of overthrow. This is what Satan is seeking to do in Job's life. He's seeking to overthrow his faith. Satan wants to overthrow Job's professed faith in God. So what will Job do? This is what we learn in the balance of the book. I guess more importantly, let me ask you, what will you do? On that hard day, when you can't cry anymore, what will you do? That's really the point, beloved. That's really... The point I've heard the book of Job described as a lesson on why Christians suffer. That's not even close to what this book is about. The heart of the book is why do men love and serve God when they lose everything? That's what this book is about. And I'll just cut to the chase for you. It's because He's such a great and beautiful and compelling God. I can lose everything and love this God because He satisfies me so much. Satan hates it that God's people love him like that. He hates it. (laughs) And he loves to try to overthrow the faith of God's people. I've been in, as I told you many times, I've been in ministry now for almost 30 years, lay and vocational. And I encounter a lot of people, you know, And it seems like to them, God is merely a cosmic lucky charm. Do you you know what I'm talking about? It's kind of like, well, I want to keep God working for me. He's my divine rabbit's foot. I don't know if that translates. That's an American phrase. A rabbit's foot is a lucky charm where I'm from. So I want to keep God working for me, right? It's kind of like that. I'm going to feign worship. I'll feign obedience. Because I want him to work for me. I do believe he's there, and I I want to keep him working for me. Man, I want those blessings to keep coming. And this is Satan's allegation against Job. Job only serves you, God, because you're good to him. That's the only reason he serves you, because you're good to him. This is Job's or Satan's allegation against Job. It's good for business. That's why he loves and serves you, or at least professes to do that. That's why it's good for business. Satan says, "You take those blessings away, he'll curse you." So we're going to see what happens in Job's life. We're going to see, and let me tell you, beloved, if you're a Christian tonight, Job is making—pardon uh, me—Satan is making that same accusation against you. That you only love the blessings of God. Or at least you love the blessings of God more than you love God. He's making that accusation right now against me. That you really love the gifts more than you love the One who gives them. This is Satan's accusation. So let me ask you, how is it with you? Do you love God more then His blessings? Is your love conditional? Do you, do you love God as long as He performs for you in a way that you think is satisfactory? That meets your standards? Or do you love this God as He has loved you unconditionally? <laughs> How is it with you? I asked that question tonight. How is it with you? This is not academic. We need to get this sorted out. Because you can count on it. Satan wants to sift you like wheat as well. Satan wants to overthrow your professed faith in God. You remember 1 Peter 5:8. God says, Your adversary, the devil, he prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. This is what he does. He's not concerned about the unbelievers. They're already in His camp. He's concerned about the believers. And He wants to overthrow your faith. It's what He does. So, I love what John MacArthur says. Satan accuses men to God, as we see here in this account, but he also accuses God to men. So Satan's in this... Pardon me. I keep transposing. Job is in this hard place. And guess who comes in the hard place? Two people come in the hard place. Two beings come in the hard place. Satan comes and Jehovah God comes to His people in the hard place. But Satan comes and says, man, he doesn't care anything about you. He's not paying any attention. You know? You're the last thing on His mind. He doesn't really care about you. Where's your God now, Job? Where is He now? Where's your faith now, Job? This is what happens in the trial. The accuser comes. The the adversary comes. Some of you have been in hard places. You know that He comes to you. He comes to us in this way. But I want to go back to the text. Job 1, verse 20. You know, you know what he does. This is an awesome thing. Verse 20, chapter 1. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and he fell to the ground. And someone tell me what he did. He cursed God, right? No, he asked God, why did this happen to me? Why did you allow this? He starts to uh, you know, interrogate God, right? No, what does the text say? What does Job do? Job worships God. Let me ask you, are you ready to worship God when everything's gone? Real Christians are. And if you call yourself a Christian not, and you're not ready to be there with God, then you have some work to do, beloved. He can be trusted on the day that everything is gone. You know, I tell you all the time, health, wealth, and prosperity is not God's best gift. What is God's best gift to His people? Himself. You can never lose Him. <laughs> you will never lose Him. And as we say all the time, when the trial comes, He comes to His people. You, you, you can't find a, an example in the Bible where one of His people is in a hard place that God does not ultimately come to them. It's who He is. He's a faithful God. He's a faithful God. He worships, and He says this beautiful thing. Job worships. He said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave. The Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen? Can you do that? On that day when everything is gone, can you worship the Lord, beloved? You're supposed to. You're supposed to be ready on that day. You can't wait till the day comes. You've got to be preparing for the day now. When the hard day comes. To worship God just as Job has. I love this high view of God He has. The Lord gives. The Lord takes away. You may notice if you study the book of Job, He never mentions Satan. He never does. He looks right at God and God's sovereignty in his life. And he goes through some hard stuff and he goes through some really deep, low times. But he holds on to God. So let me ask you, if God strips you of everything, beloved, would you still love Him? Is it really about the blessings? Or is your love that you profess toward Jesus Christ, is it conditional on Him performing adequately in your estimation? Let me summarize real quick. Job chapter 2, verse 1 here. And the, sons, the angels, the sons of God, the angels were coming back before the Lord. Satan was among them. Verse 3, And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered My servant Job? He's blameless, he's upright, he fears Me. Turning away from evil, he holds fast to his integrity, although you incited me against him. Verse 4, And Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin. Yes, all that a man has he will give for his life. However, put forth thy hand now and touch his bone and his flesh and he will curse thee to thy face. Verse 6, So the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your power. Only spare his life. Don't you love it? Let me go on down. Verse 7, Satan goes out. He smotes Job with boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. Job is scraping himself with a piece of broken pottery. Verse 9, his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. Wives, don't ever say that to your husband. <laughs> Husbands, don't ever say that to your wife. This is bad counsel. Verse 10 But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women speak. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? In all of this, Job did not sin with his lips. Do you see how Job just bows under every hard providence? Do you see? He bows under every hard providence and simply looks at God and worships God. He doesn't lose his faith as Satan is trying to destroy it. And Job doesn't understand all that's going on here. He doesn't understand all the particulars. And I want to ask you, is it okay with you not to understand? When he gets hard, is it okay with you not to understand? Is it okay with you that God's God? He's my God. He's a good God. He's a faithful God. Even on the day I lose everything. Listen, is it okay with you if you don't understand in the particular? We know what's going on in general. In an overarching sense, we know what's going on. What's going on in the Christian's life on the hard day? Someone tell me. What's going on? God is changing us. God is revealing Himself to us. God is conforming us to the image of Jesus. God is sanctifying us. God is burning off the dross. And Romans 8.28 is always true. God is doing a good thing. Do you believe it? Will you profess it? Listen, when the hard day comes, the unbeliever needs to see you worship God. Your children need to see you worship God. Your spouse needs to see you worship God. That's one confession I can give for Karen when we went through the cancer. Man, she was just worshiping the Lord. Right? Right? She didn't like it. She didn't like what was going on in her life. But she trusted a sovereign and a good and a faithful God with it. Will you do that, beloved? Will you do that? When hard times come. You know, Job seems to have this theology that was prevalent in that day that God always temporally blesses the righteous and He always temporally afflicts the wicked. You know, it's what Eliphaz and Bildad and Zophar spend 33 chapters talking about in this book, making that point. Job, you must have sinned, or this wouldn't happen. That's really the point that they make. You know, you don't have to be particularly bright to simply observe in the world that that is incorrect theology. It's not only not taught in Bible. In the Bible, you can see it in the world. Sometimes evil men do prosper. And sometimes, godly men do suffer. We see it. We don't have to be that smart. You can see that a 10-year-old can tell you that that kind of theology is bankrupt. It's not biblical. So God is going to teach Job some new theology. And I, I just want to share a quote with you about how superficial the modern church has become, in its view of God, in its view of providence, it's a great quote by John Piper. Let me share it with you. The vision of God in relation to evil and suffering is, in the modern church, frivolous. The church has not been spending its energy to go deep with the unfathomable God of the Bible against the overwhelming weight and seriousness of the Bible. Much of the modern church is choosing to become more light more shallow, more entertainment oriented. And therefore, is successful in its irrelevance to massive suffering and evil in the world. The popular God of the fun church is simply too small and too affable to hold a hurricane in His hand. And then he says, "...the Bible explodes such trivial notions." about the god of the bible the title of the sermon is no more trivial notions about god not in your life not in my life parenthetically i love i just want to reiterate that how 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 job responds the lord gives the lord takes away beloved it is his prerogative you know sometimes it's like Even as Christians, sometimes we think, this is mine. I deserve this. You don't deserve anything. We know what we deserve if we read our Bibles. We deserve damnation yesterday. Everything is grace. Everything's grace. Everything is grace. If you don't hear me say anything else tonight, everything is grace. And if God takes it, it's His prerogative to take it. He freely gave. If He takes it, it's His prerogative to take it And we're still to love Him and worship Him. And we will if we know Him. (laughs) We will if we know Him. You know, Job's friends come and for 33 chapters, 33 chapters, they're telling him, it's because you must have sinned somewhere. You must have done something. Because... You know, back to that simplistic theology. God always blesses temporally the righteous and He always afflicts temporally the wicked. And Job arrives at that same place that our 17-year-old quadriplegic arrived at. He says, My soul would choose death rather than this pain. Now, he debates his friends for the next 33 chapters. He never renounces God. He never discards his faith and his trust in the Lord. But he does voice a complaint against God and he seeks God's explanation. Let me just share a few verses with you. Listen to Job in Job 10, 1 and 2. Job says, I will give full vent to my complaint I will speak in the bitterness of my soul. I will say to God, do not condemn me. Let me know why you have contended with me. Now I want you to remember these words in a few minutes. (laughs) When God comes, I want you to remember these words that Job has spoken. Job 13.3 Job says, I would speak to the Almighty. I desire to argue with God. Now I want you to remember that when we come back. When God comes to Job, Job 23, 3-4, Job says, Oh, that I knew where I could find Him, that I might come to His seat. I would present my case before Him and fill my mouth with arguments. Job 31, 35, Oh, that I had one to hear me. Behold, he is... here is my signature. Let the Almighty answer me. Well, the Almighty answers, right? He's under no obligation to answer. He does not give an accounting of himself, not even to his people, beloved. God's under no obligation, but God graciously answers Job. But I want you to notice what God does and what God does not do. I'm going to read some selected passages to you. You won't be able to stay with me, so please just listen. I'm going to pick up here at Job chapter 38, verses 1 through 4. The Lord. Answer, Job, out of the whirlwind. Job didn't find God. God finds Job. Verse 2, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? God says to Job, Now gird up your loins like a man, and I will ask you, and you instruct me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth, Job? You want to question me, Job? Where were you, Jim Albright? Where were you? you got to question me, Jim Albright? Where were you? When I laid the foundation of the world. Tell me, Job, if you have understanding. I'm going to drop down 38.12. God says, Have you ever in your life commanded the morning and caused the dawn to know its place, Job? Verse 16. Have you entered into the springs of the sea? Have you walked in the recesses of the deeps? Have the the gates of death been revealed to you? Or have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you understood the expanse of the earth? Tell me, Job, do you know these things? You want to debate with me? You want to interrogate me? Verse 31. Job, can you bind the chains of the Pleiades or loose the cords of Orion? Can you lead forth a constellation in its season and guide the bear with her satellites? Do you know the ordinances of the heavens or fix their rule over the earth? Can you lift up your voice to the clouds so that an abundance of water covers you? Can you send forth lightnings that uh, they may go and say, here we are? Who has put wisdom in the innermost being or who has given understanding to the mind? Job, do you know? Tell me, Job, if you know. Tell me if you know. Verse 19, verse chapter 39. Job, do you give the horse his might? Do you clothe his neck with a mane? Do you make him leap like locusts? Verse 26, Is it by your understanding that the hawk soars, stretching his wings toward the south? Is it at your command that the eagle mounts up and makes his nest on high? Chapter 40, verse 1 and 2, Then the Lord said to Job, Will the fault finder contend with Me? Let him who reproves God answer it. Wow, Job came. Pardon me, God came. He didn't answer one question. God does not explain Himself to His creatures. God asked Job 70 questions. Does anybody remember how many Job answered? God says, You want to debate me? Infinite mind? With your two and a half pounds of gray matter? You want to go toe to toe with me, Job? I like how the message paraphrases that first comment by God. The message says to Job, why do you confuse the issue? Why do you talk without knowing what you're talking about? I can tell you as a pastor, I hear this all the time. People in backhanded ways, you know, insulting the character and person and being of God. I see it so often. People speculating on who God is and how God does business, and they've never really taken the time to spend years and years and years in the Word of God. Because, beloved, if you're going to come to peace with understanding all that God is doing in the world, you've got to know this. And it's not, it's, this, is not, this is not drive-through theology. You can't just drive through... And, and understand all that God tells us about what He does in the world. This reminds me. I love that great verse. I use it many times. Romans 9.20 You know the great text. Who are you who answers back to God? Listen, beloved, I hope one thing we may glean from tonight is a little humility. Before the Lord. He goes on. The thing molded will not say to the molder, Why did you make me like this, will it? Does it does not the potter have the right over the clay? Well, yes, of course he does. <laughs> of course he does. He has he has every, you listen, even if you don't love him, you are his. You are his intellectual property. He made you. Even if you don't love him, you belong to him in that sense. The Creator comes to His creature and He says, where were you when I put my wisdom on display in the creation of the world? Beloved, I just want to caution you. If you're calling God to account in your life, if you're demanding God's explanation in your life, you're going to have to do better than Job did on his qualifying exam. Job got a perfect F. He did not answer one question and if you're going to if you you know if you want to debate with god you're going to have to do better so let me know how that goes with you job says you remember his words he says i want to argue with god i want to vent my complaint he says man i'm going to present my case well job yeah when god comes what does <laughs> what does job do look at verse or chapter 40 verse 3 let me just share it with you Job says, Behold, I am insignificant. What can I reply to thee? I lay my hand on my mouth. Once I, was, once I have spoken and I will not answer, even twice I will add no more. Job does what every person does who has a genuine encounter with the living God. He shuts up and he lays on his face. All you got to do is read the Scriptures. Every man that catches a vision of the glory of Jesus Christ, bam! They can't get low enough fast enough. Job says, "I'll speak no more." Verse six. Then the Lord answered Job out of the storm, and he said, "Gird up your loins like a man, and I will ask you to instruct me. Will you really know my judgments?" Will you condemn Me that you may be justified? Or do you have an arm like God? You know, God does a beautiful thing here. (laughs) I hope you've had this experience. Job now knows that God's God and He's not. God's God... And he's not. And Job's coming to the understanding that he's going to let God be God. He's going to let God run the world. He's going to let God take care of providence. I'm not going to critique God. I'm not going to attack God. I'm not going to interrogate God. I'm going to trust God. That's what true believers do. Believe, I've told you this many times. I would rather, you know, I don't really need an explanation from God. I don't want an explanation from God. I don't need an explanation from God. I would rather have one revelation from God than 10,000 explanations. Are you understanding what I'm saying? I just want God to show Himself to me like He's doing to Job. That's what I really want. I don't want an explanation. I probably wouldn't understand it anyway if we would just realize that He gives us the most blessed thing. He gives us a revelation. He always comes to His people in the hard place. This is what He does. And I'm going to ask you again, is it okay with you if you don't understand? Is it okay with you? If it's not okay with you, then I I want to encourage you to go home and do some business with the Lord. I just want to encourage you. So let's finish up here. Listen to Job's confession here in chapter 42, beginning in verse 2. Job says, I know that thou canst do all things, and that no purpose of thine can be thwarted. Therefore I have declared that which I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Are you hearing Job? He says, now I understand you more. Now I do. He goes on. Verse 5. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees thee. Are you hearing what Job says? I now see you more clearly. I now know you better. And he says, Therefore, verse 6, I retract and I repent in dust and ashes. Now here's a confession of a man who's been to the bottom. I don't think a man can get lower than Job has been. He's been to the bottom And he says, man, I'm going to shut my mouth and I'm going to worship this God. Because this God has come to me in this hard place and now I see Him all the more and I love Him all the better. This is what happens in the believer's life. I had a seminary professor who went through a about a year or longer severe depression where he could not even get out of bed. Now this qualifies a man to be a seminary professor. Because he was in a dark, hard place. Guess who met him there? God met him there. And now he teaches with uh, you know, a passion, a zeal that he did not have before. And I want to tell you, I've never been to the very bottom. I've cons- I, I, went, I was in a place once where I could see the bottom from where I was. And I want to tell you that God met me there, and God held me there, and God brought me through. It hurt. But God's revelation was better than the explanation. I think I shared with you a month or so ago this book that came out some years ago when bad things happened to good people. Um... By Harold Kushner, he wrote that God is—he wants everything to go great in your life. He just can't arrange it. He wants you to have temporal happiness and trouble-free lives, but he just can't do it. He's too pathetic. He's too impotent. He's too frustrated. I have to say, with all due respect, it's the stupidest thing I ever heard anyone say. If we believe our Bibles, if we have a biblical view of God... I Am is not frustrated. I Am is not impotent. I Am is the sovereign reigning God of Psalm 99. And He reigns in the day of great blessing and He reigns in the day of great trial and you're supposed to trust Him for both if you say that you belong to Him. The God of the Bible always has His hands on His children. And He will not long allow His children to entertain trivial notions of Him. He will providentially arrange a meeting. So my encouragement to you is humble yourself before this great God and be ready to worship Him when the hard day comes. It's what believers do. back to that beautiful young woman who had the diving accident. Fast forward 40 years. She writes, I didn't leave my desperation back in the hospital 40 years ago. Desperation is a part of a quadriplegic's life each and every day each morning a girlfriend will come to help her prepare and get ready for the day she writes there are so many mornings i hear my girlfriend coming in the front door and i think oh god i cannot do this i am so tired i don't think i can make it to lunch oh god i cannot do quadriplegia today i have no resource for this i have no strength for this she tells god i can't do it god says i know i'll help you i love She says, oh God, I don't have a smile for my friend when she comes. God says, I know you can use mine. Don't you love it? Do any of you know who I'm talking about? Johnny Erickson Tata, she's well known in the U.S. This, man who, this woman who wanted to die at 17... This woman who prays down the strength of God every day simply to get out of bed. She's written 30 books. She has a radio show at one point. I don't know if it's still true. She had a million listeners. She has an international ministry to the disabled. It's called Wheels for the World. And some of you may be aware she just sang a song that was nominated for an Oscar. This is a woman who wanted to die. But God has used her mightily. I love what she says. She said, God used her suffering to sandblast her to the core that she might be better bonded to Christ. Sometimes God will let His children totter to see if they will fall on Him. Beloved, when the hard day comes, you fall on God. He is a sovereign, reigning, good, and loving and faithful God. Circumstance doesn't change God. And I'm just going to close with Paul's words from Second Corinthians 4. We are afflicted in every way, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but we are not despairing. We are persecuted, but we are not forsaken. We are struck down, but we are not destroyed. We're always caring about in the body the dying of Jesus, that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our body. Therefore, we do not lose heart. For these momentary light afflictions are producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Beloved, I call you tonight to believe that and to live that. As I told you earlier,